0: Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.Twitter.com slash HOCRadio. Info at HouseOfCardsRadio.com and www.Twitter.com slash HOC Radio.
1: Hey, listeners! This is Dave from House of Cards, and we'd like to congratulate Beth Gaines from Los Angeles, California, as the winner of our Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure Giveaway. Beth has won, courtesy of Poker Stars and House of Cards, three nights at the Atlantis Resort and Casino in the Bahamas, one thousand dollars in cash, a two hundred and fifty dollars gift certificate for the spa at the Atlantis Resort, and free entry into both the ladies' event at the 2010 Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure and the Poker Stars Boot Camp being held at the
0: Atlantis. Congratulations, Beth, from all of us at House of Cards. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over 1 million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides, but we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love.
2: You know what cheers me up? What? Right. Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls.
1: The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player
2: Ashley Adams. Okay, we have some skill. Good
0: evening, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards, and, uh, i got to set the mood for tonight's show. This show is a little different from most of the ones you've listened to. Most of the shows we do are pretty high energy. This one is a fascinating show. We have one guest, an absolute spellbinding speaker, a guy named Johnny Hughes, who's a writer. He's an old pro from the bad old days and the good old days in Texas, played with everybody you ever heard of, from back then, from Johnny Moss to Sailor Roberts, Amarillo Slim, Crandall Addington, a whole bunch of others, Bill Smith, and he'll tell you about it. But here's what I want you to do. We're going to take a commercial break. And if you haven't already, I want you to go get a glass of scotch, or even better, bourbon, or if you insist, get a beer, get a plate of chili or something. Get comfortable, because Johnny Hughes can stem can uh, what do they call them stem winders can tell stories like nobody else and you're going to want to just sit and relax and listen and I guess it's kind of old-fashioned smoke your cigar, put your feet up, get ready for a great interview with Johnny Hughes. We're going to take a commercial break. We'll be back shortly. Stay tuned.
1: Great moments in history. In July 1937, Amelia Earhart was informed by her navigator, Fred Noonan, that they were off course over the Pacific
0: Ocean. You're lost. You just sit here telling me that I'm not a Can I hold the
2: f***ing no. Can I hold the f***ing No.
0: That is so not cool.
1: In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseofCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads.
0: Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, and we're now blanketing the United States, you can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash
1: Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning seven-card stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning seven-card stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing. You'll learn to master them all. Winning seven-card stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. You're listening to the House of Cards.
0: The way I see it, poker's like some kind of cosmic metaphor. It's like even though the cards fall in a random order that you can't possibly predict, you can still beat them. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And as promised, we have a guy I can best describe as a great writer, a professor, a storyteller, a bon vivant, Johnny Hughes. Johnny, are you there?
2: I am here. How are you doing?
0: I am doing great. It is an honor to talk to you, sir. I have... uh, read a lot of what you've written, and I have been eager to get you on the phone so we can talk about all the stuff that you have done and seen and observed and thought about of the poker world. Let's start by talking about your background, how it is you came to poker, where it is you played, where it is you learned about the poker world, what you've written, and uh, just give our listeners a good picture of who Johnny Hughes is.
2: Okay. Well, I grew up in a gambling family, card-playing family. I had four great uncles that were professional gamblers and cousins and all. And my mother was a champion bridge player. I was also a bridge life master in my early 20s. But as a teenager, age 14, I started playing poker. And
0: Where was this, Johnny? Where did you grow In up? Lubbock,
2: Texas, where I live now. Oh, okay. And... um by by the time I was a teenager, I'm, I had met professional gamblers. I wanted to be a professional gambler while I was still in high school. And I was making, making my money that way. And um, my parents didn't have any money, and they even moved off. I put myself through college playing poker and running poker games. But it took about eight years. And usually I ran pot-cut Hold'em games, uh, where I'd cut $0.25 cents and, and um, another $0.25 cents when it got over 5 bucks, And I'd run a little game like that. And then I played in the bigger games, and the games I played in were actually about as big as it was because Lubbock was a big poker center and also traveled. But I played with the early champions, Johnny Moss, Bill Smith, Jack Strauss, uh, Sailor Roberts, Amarillo Slim, and uh, Bill Smith was the world champion in '85. We were running a little pot cut poker game in an apartment house, and he was running a big poker game in the same apartment house. And I was still underage; they wouldn't, they didn't want anyone under 21 in these outlaw poker joints because it was a greater crime. And so my partner and I, we'd take our money down and change it into $100 bills and keep going up to do it Bill's door and asking for change. And finally, they just asked us to play. And uh, <laughs> back then, I think any of those guys would really hold their own or beat the young people today. But the play wasn't as great because we didn't have the odds. We didn't have books. And I learned to hold them really Uh, many of the great plays I make now, and I still play hold them and still travel and play in New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, and Nevada. But I learned just watching him. And back then we played with cash money, uh, paper money, because it was a greater crime if you had chips, and we were arrested I was arrested several times and we were robbed with shotguns and pistols and it was um it was kind of it was a dangerous life because it was an outlaw life I was I'm a card player I really don't don't enjoy I'll play poker for very high stakes but I'm not a gambler uh I don't bet on other things you know but um
0: well, let me stop you for a second because I got sure. a couple of questions already.
2: First you need of to all, stop me time. I talk.
0: <laughs> well, I got you on this show because you talk, so I'm encouraging you to uh, be free form and to go on. But I did have a couple of questions already. First of all, uh, and I'm I'm talking with Johnny Hughes, who has uh, done many many things in the poker world as well as written a couple of books, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but I want to know when you say you had a small cut a limit hold'em game, how small was small? And when you say you, you had the big game, how big was big? So how small was okay. small and how big was big?
2: Well, I made my lemon from the small game. And, uh, of course, inflation was such – we always played no lemon. It was $20 change in my place, no limit. And it was really difficult to get up. Usually you'd play about eight-handed and I had a partner to run the game with most of the time. And that way you didn't have to be there all the time. At one point, I had a partner that, for about three years, and I'd play in the bigger game and he'd play in that game. There were three levels of games. In the smallest game, my game, people had $40, $50. <laughs> in the mid level game, um, at that game it was called a T game, meaning you paid a chair rate of two dollars an hour and the the blind the dealer put up a dollar and the blind was two dollars and you could straddle with four. And usually poker games in the afternoon it would be one and two and then at night it would be four. And usually those games were about a hundred dollars sit in. They they actually they were twenty five dollars sit in. And But you would usually have a couple of 300 bucks to go. That would be like a couple of thousand now. And then for some years, uh, some of the big legends in poker, Bill Smith, uh, Pat Renfro, and Tennessee Longoody James Roy, guys that were pictured at that first World Series, they, they moved here because of the poker. And that game would those were called five percent games, meaning when you bought a hundred dollar and it was a hundred dollar change in. But most people put up like five hundred dollars, which would be like five thousand a day, and you would give a hundred, they give you ninety five dollars worth of chips.
0: What years are we talking about, Johnny?
2: Uh, that would I started out playing hold 'em in like fifty six or so. And the biggest games I played in were like around 1960, 1961 on. I was playing when I was 21. I made a lot of money, and of course I would go broke, but not real fast. You know, people have this idea that the up and down stuff is daily. It's more over a few months. But I would never think I was going to go broke, and I would generally spend myself broke more than the poker. But also the poker would, uh, out here in West Texas, Come summertime, there was not as much money around. In the fall, well, we played a lot with bookmakers. And in the fall, you got your loan charts, your bookmakers, the college students have come back, they have money, the cotton's harvested. You know, there's a lot of money around. And then by summertime, gambling's not as good. And, um, it was just, I played in other places and I traveled a lot playing bridge, bridge tournaments. But, there were people traveled here, all of the big poker players, Brunson, and I never played with him, but I've, I just got a great quote from him for an article I'm writing. But I met a man named Curly Cabot. That's who I'm writing this article about. And Curly Cabot was the model for the character Moody O'Malley in my novel, Texas Poker Wisdom, which is for sale on Amazon's all over the world. I all right, the Let's
0: repeat that. Say the name of the book and okay. uh, how they
2: can get it. All right. It's uh, you can look at my website johnnyhughes.com. dot com.
0: We'll put that on our website johnny j o h n n y hughes h u g h e s dot com. That'll be good yeah, and that'll tell you website. about
2: the book. And a lot of great reviews. I've had great reviews from a lot of people, but I met this one spectacular guy, and I'm very excited about this uh, Ashley, because I just finished this article. And I got, uh, Crandall Addington knew him pretty well, Crandall knew Curly Cabot, and he gave me a good quote. Doyle Brunson gave me just a terrific quote I might read to you. If sure, let us know. What's the enough. quote?
0: Tell us what it is.
2: Well, uh, I'll have to go over here to my computer. I've got it up on the screen. <laughs> but uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about Curly first. Sure. I met him caddying for the big gamblers when I was a teenager and he kind of took me under his wing and he was the most as, as Doyle says, the most consummate gambler of all time, he didn't have any leaks and he was an expert cheater uh, practiced all the time and he had a closet in his house full of marked cards, loaded dice holdout machine, funny sunglasses different kind of mirror things and he played in the biggest games all around I went with him in 1959, I was 19 years old, to Longview, Texas, and, uh, where he met his long-term friend Johnny Moss, and he was staking Johnny Moss in this poker game against Sarge Ferris, another Hall of Fame member, and Pat Renfro, another guy I write about, was there. and I met all of these Poker Hall of Fame members through Curly Cabot, I went to Las Vegas and uh, met Benny Binion, and he got me a job through Bill Boyd, another Hall of Fame member. And I was a shill at the Golden Nugget.
0: You were a shill. In other words, let's tell our listeners Shilling the difference a between a shill and a prop player. So a shill plays Shills with house cheats. money.
2: <laughs> we cheated, among other things. Uh, we would signal. We played five stud.
0: But tell everybody what a shill. Is well, supposed to be a dollar.
2: You know, I'm really not sure. I think it was a dollar or a dollar and a half an hour, and we just played poker, and they gave us It was just house money. And Bill Boyd ran the thing for many, many years. He won the World Series in stud, five stud. And he would let me play Raz, which at $6 limit, and they only cut one quarter, but the. The $1 limit games where we shield, they were called snatch games, meaning the pot cut was so offensive, no one could possibly win. And the shields would, uh, if you had a pair, you were supposed to slide your card at an angle, you know, a 45 degree angle, where the other shields would get out. And uh, when I know, and sometimes there'd be four shields in a game, so if I noticed everybody's getting out but the shields, I'd fake I had a pair, you know. Beat the other shills. <laughs> and Boyd liked me, and he'd let me play the Raz, and I'd beat the Raz, but I wouldn't get any of the money. And it was uh, a dreadful job. I've shilled the dice, too, where you pretend to be a player, and it's, a, it's just a dreadful job.
0: Well, why would why would the house hire a shill for dice? I mean, you don't need anybody to be shooting dice to get another dice player to play. It's not like sure poker.
2: Sure, in, in a small town like this, in an in the outlaw dice, uh, I play. I worked for the guy called the Reverend Pruitt, and we sometimes wouldn't have a one other shooter, and uh, I would get ten or fifteen bucks a day. That would that was a when when. I didn't work until I was 26, and then I worked three years and took another five years off. So, by the time I was 34, I'd only worked three years in my life. But my parents moved off when I was a teenager, and these old gamblers just helped me out. They, I could always get stake money. Uh, you could go over to a guy's house and say, I'm, I found this poker game, give me $200. And they'd give it to you. Well, let me. I'm going to interrupt you,
0: it. Johnny. I want to ask you some specific questions about sure, some of the things. Sure. Now, I
2: ramble too much. Okay, oh, no, yeah.
0: that's all right. That's my job. I'm a wrangler. I'm supposed to wrangle you back in. Um, <laughs> you mentioned a lot of players. You mentioned cheating, and uh, you know I've read uh, Des Wilson's book. I've read uh, Jim McManus's book. A lot of books about the '50s and the '60s and the, even the '70s in Las Vegas and in Texas. I'm asking you, how much was cheating a part
2: of the game back not then? Not much. Not much at all at the game, games I played at. I didn't allow any. I, I, I don't cheat, but I'm probably no. The guy that taught me, Curly Cabot, if he was playing, he was probably cheating. And they were nearly always cheating at dice. And I, ju- I just wrote this and did a lot of research besides my own deal, but. In the 30s, in the Great Depression, everybody cheated. There was no—nobody had a bankroll. You couldn't lose. And the general rule was guys like Curly Cabot and Red Harris, they would go cheat on the road. They were addicted. Curly Cabot stayed on the road 60 years. He just couldn't—and he would go to different Elks, you know, these Elks lodges and Eagles lodges, and they'd cheat on the road, but they'd fade square dice at home. In 1952, Curley was caught at the uh, Democratic Convention in Oklahoma City. And it was an AP wire service story all over the country that he had loaded dice and crooked dice, crooked marked cards, and a delegate's badge. And
0: uh, Where was he a delegate from, Texas?
2: Yeah. And when he, uh, that hit the papers here. And then he and Red Harris opened up a big dice game where they just put a big bowl of square dice on the table, and the shooter'd pick them, and the guys that worked there wouldn't be touching them. In other words, you it would, They had such big bankrolls they could square fate, square dice, and make a lot of money. But when they were on the road, the rule is get the money before it walks. You've only got the suckers for a day or two at a golf tournament.
0: Right. Well, let's let's get back to one of the guys you mentioned. Um, Benny Binion, he has a reputation of being this kind of grandfatherly, benevolent, the good guy, giving a good deal and a good meal to gamblers. But I've also read that that's largely a myth. How do you weigh in on that?
2: Oh, uh, he was he was the mob boss of Dallas, and when he left Dallas to go own a mere casino, he took a huge step down. Benny Binion had over $30 million in legal fees in Dallas.
0: When you say a mob boss, you mean like I mean a killer, a person that would hire people to kill other people? Like,
2: Absolutely. Sure. Well,
0: that's uh, as bad a guy as you can get.
2: Well, not particularly. Somebody has to be the boss scammer. Uh, in 1936, Texas had its centennial, 100 years old, and they just opened Dallas-Fort Worth to wide-open gambling. And they had, they were literally, uh, you know, they had big floor shows and famous famous artists would come and all of that. Curly Cabot, he worked with a guy named Herbert Noble, Cat Noble. And Red Harris faded dice downtown in a bar. Everybody downtown had to pay Benny Minion 25%. And Benny Minion paid the police and the politicians. And so it wasn't Benny Minion that was corrupt. It was the whole system. But Benny was a bit of a megalomaniac. He wanted everybody to, you know, control things. He had a lot of control over in Fort Worth. He owned a third of the Odessa gambling operation of Paul Harvey. That's where Johnny Moss lived. I played in that poker game there. But Benny was big, and he and Cat kept trying to kill each other. And... um, There were 14 attempts made on Cat Noble's life, and it doesn't mean that Benny hired that many people. It meant there was a reward out, and people were just trying to kill the guy. And this was after World War II, and so there were all these explosives experts, and they blew up his car when his wife was in there.
0: Well, he turned informer, didn't he? Who? No, no. Curly didn't... The guy that was eventually blown up, didn't he...
2: No. Oh, okay. No, he he was just crazy. They finally blew him up with a when he went to his mailbox from across the road. You know, it detonated his mailbox and it left a four foot crater. But um, is he, he the guy? Just, did they get his wife too before they got they him? They got his wife too, and uh, Benny had sworn that wasn't him. Cat Noble had a plane rigged with bombs and was planning to go to Las Vegas and bomb Benny's house, and the Texas authorities caught him. And that's when Curly Cabot and Red Harris came out to Lubbock. That, there were a bunch of gamblers killed in Dallas. I had, I had a great uncle killed during this time, and my family still doesn't know. I have a cousin believes that Benny might have had something to do with it. It's an unsolved murder, I'm going to. I'm going to stop. All of them, John- all of those murders were unsolved murders. About Johnny, there's,
0: there's much more uh, <laughs> ore here to mine. What I'm going to do, my producer is signaling me like crazy. We've got to take a quick break. I'll be And here. we'll come back. Just hold on, listeners. We're going to have more with Johnny Hughes. And these are incredible stories. Stay tuned. We'll be back right away. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over one million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides... But we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love
1: great moments in history. In 1591, Sir Walter Raleigh was imprisoned in the Tower of London for insulting Queen Elizabeth I. I,
0: too, can command the wind, sir! I have a hurricane in me that will strip Spain bare if you dare to try me! Well, I'd love to stay in chat, but you're a total bitch.
1: In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseofCardsRadio.com and click on the Podcast button for all recent show downloads. Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning seven-card stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning seven-card stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing. You'll learn to master them all. Winning seven-card stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Take the cards,
0: big man. Show us how it's played. Welcome back, listeners. Ashley Adams, House of Cards. And we are in the middle of some great stories uh, from, I guess, great, wonderful stories, interesting stories from Johnny Hughes. Johnny, you were talking about Benny Binion and uh, moving to Las Vegas. What I want to know is... His image of this kind of grandfatherly guy, is was it creative out of whole cloth? Was he still uh, kind of a mobbed-up guy when he came to Las Vegas? Uh, What was your experience with him once he came to uh, to Sin City?
2: Well, I didn't really know him very well. I talked to him, so... Um... I don't, when I say he's kind of mobbed up, I don't mean that in a bad sort of way. Uh, someone had to be the boss. Benny attracted outlaws, and the outlaws were a fraternity, and I was a minor member. It was an organized crime, but it was very much like a college fraternity. You were the, the best of it men and the professional gamblers on one side. And look at this, I'm just a card player, you know, kind of an academic guy, but they kept putting me in jail. Wouldn't you feel like an outlaw too? You bet. If they put you in jail for playing cards. And people kept robbing us. And what you want, I played cards for thirty five years at a place called a shop. And the boss gambler there was Ed Bradford. They loaned money, they were bookies. But it was the safest place you ever went. We were never robbed. We were never arrested. Uh, The boss gambler, somebody like Benny, they keep their word. He bought, when Paul Harvey got broke playing Johnny Moss poker, and he had a big casino in Midland, Odessa. He went to Benny for money. Benny bought a third of his action, and they didn't hire lawyers, see, and they didn't draw up contracts. They just shake hands. Mm-hmm. And the Binion settle out of court if there's a problem. You see what I mean? Yes, I yeah, do. Words, I, it was no, a those different world. Keep their word. They it was a different word.
0: world, and there was honor among them. But you, you got to say, it's not just like a big company or a fraternity. I mean, there were people killing each other. I don't know many fraternities that where you know people are killing folks from a rival fraternity. So it's, well, um, then
2: he killed two people and got off, and those were both kind of robberies. And uh, once they were in Vegas, I don't think very many people from the mob or from, you know, I think that is kind of a myth about people getting, so many people getting killed. But back in Dallas, uh, the guy, Cat Binion, was crazy, and he was trying to kill Benny Binion. He was trying to hire people to kill Benny Binion. Right. He was trying to bomb Benny Binion's family. Actually, you'd kill that dude.
0: <laughs> well, I hope so. I yeah. hope I would have had the stones. Let me ask you about this. You mentioned that uh, you played with a lot of these guys. You mentioned Johnny Moths. As I'm reading about, there's a famous incident called the Big Game that Benny Binion has now said that this was the real roots of the World Series when um, Nick the Greek uh, yeah. went to Benny and asked for the best poker player, and he wanted a game, and he, he set him up with Johnny Moss, that whole story. But now I'm reading that a lot of that may be a myth. What do you know about that? What, can you, uh, what light can yeah, you shed on I'll,
2: that? Uh, I'm going to send you an article written by Edwin Bud Shrake, arguably one of Texas' four or five best writers ever, in 1971 when he interviewed Johnny Moss. And um, the match took place. It probably did take over five months. I knew Johnny Moss, and I I saw Nick the Greek. I didn't know him. And uh, they probably did not stay awake as much as it has been written. But the, the thing definitely took place. Before I even met Johnny Moss, when I was 19, I'd heard all about that. And I rode from West Texas to East Texas to meet Johnny Moss, and Curly Cavity He told me stories about Benny Binion that later appeared in Greenfeld Jungle, and the stuff about Cat Noble, who who Curly was working with, but he was friends of Binion. And so I know that match took place, and that sort of thing was very common. Uh, one guy challenged another. The first night I met Treetop Strauss, I played him. Had a first night I met tennessee longer i played him head up it was just the way things were done and uh, moss would moss and paul harvey played five straight days and nights okay and i've seen games go that long i don't believe they go longer well here's here's the question i know about des wilson's book what, what I do you think read it yet okay well here's here's my
0: question In the story, and for those listeners that don't know, by the way, I'm talking to Johnny Hughes, who's a writer. I have
2: have just found something. You know, I have quite a gambling library, and I I found something just the other day, if I can, if I still have it, it was a tribute to Johnny Moss. They used to put out these very slick brochure things for the World Series of Poker, and they'd mail them to you. And the year Johnny died, uh, they put a page in there about him and i'm kinda of looking at it but it it makes allusion to the big match you know right well and and uh... just because Benny Binion wasn't still talking about it when he was after eighty that doesn't mean it didn't exist in other words it happened it was probably exaggerated i see well i guess that's my question to you the and let me tell you another thing remember we were talking about cat noble Yes. He was trying to kill Benny at exactly this time. The IRS was all over Benny, he couldn't leave, he couldn't come to Texas, they were just about to put him in prison. They all had the IRS after him, all those men. And Johnny Moss lost his share back. Johnny Moss would go broke. Nick the Greek would go broke. And so either their story is they lost a lot of money in the casinos, but Remember the amounts of money they talk about and all. It has to be for the IRS. And I do know that I believe that Nick the Greek got broke over time playing poker in Las Vegas and stayed broke. And when I saw him, he would go from one strip casino to the other and shoot the front line and take a cab to another one. And he was a shill. He owed him a lot of money. But he arrived in town with a few million
0: all right, Johnny. I got a question. I'm going to try to to ask it. Here's the question: Johnny Moss is reputed to have won two or three million dollars off of Nick the Greek in that big game that took place in 4950 at Binion's that Benny set up. That's the story. But,
2: well, I don't, I don't know. But here's the question: If I he don't won, know, that's, they probably both lost a whole lot of that money shooting dice. I to see. Benny.
0: Okay. The other story was that Johnny Moss ran a number of games in different casinos, a number of poker games that were snatch games, as you described them. And uh, I'm wondering if you had any experience with that, if you knew... A well,
2: snatch game means pot cut, and that's usually low limit. In other words, where snatch usually means, you know, a limit game where the pot cut's real heavy. Uh, he ran games there. He got caught cheating, allegedly, sometime around after that match and stayed out of Vegas a while. Moss would partner up with Titanic Thompson on the road. What do you think? Ty <laughs> became a saint for a few days? No. Moss was a partner of Curly Cavett. I was with them. I don't know whether they were cheating or not. But Moss would cheat, and uh, but he'd still go broke. He was a sucker to the dice. He was a sucker to the horses. And um, these guys would, t- for one of them to just challenge the other one, and stay there till they lost everything. That happened around here. One guy'd get on the road, and he'd go over to. P- I- I- I'd go to somebody's house, at- go over to Bill Smith's house in the morning, and challenge him, to play it up over coffee. And it was a macho Texas thing, you know. Well- but I believe the ma- I believe strongly the match happened. And the I've read what Gary Wise and Des Wilson said about it, and it's it's kind of silly. Of to, all those think guys, it didn't happen, but the amount of money is your guess as good as mine.
0: Johnny, of all those guys you played with, Sailor Roberts, Amarillo Slim, uh, Slim uh, Johnny Moss, Doyle Brunson, um, I never played with Doyle. All right, Crandall Addington. Who was the best of the guys that you did play with? The best, well, pure player
2: Ma- Moss was the best player. And Doyle would say that. Uh, Saylor was always distracted by drugs and women. Slim was never that great a player. I've played with him more than any of them because he's still playing around here.
0: Does he live down there near you?
2: Uh, that's just That might be my caller waiting. I don't even know how to deal with it. will They'll hang up.
0: That's all right. Does, does Slim live down there near you?
2: Yeah, he lives up, Mamorilla. What I would say about him, you know, he was accused of. Did you know he'd been accused of? Yes. And well, he was innocent, I'm sure of that. His family says that, and the accuser recanted. I've been in touch with Doyle Brunson uh, lately, asking him questions about Curly and stuff, and he has always defended Slim. And I'd have to say, Doyle's the greatest card player uh, over time. You know Moss was in his day, but really, by the time the World Series started, Moss was was on the downside.
0: All right. Well, you know, I do you play at all in Las Vegas these days with any of the the new young players, the internet pros that are populating the game? Do you play with any of them?
2: I, I've played with quite a few of them. Uh, I've been to the World Series nearly every year. I hadn't been in the last two years, I think. And I usually play about 2-5 five or five ten, And so I've played, and I, as you remember, there were some years where it was just limit. There wasn't, wasn't any no limit. I play no limit, but I don't play very high. So I've played with them. I, I met Dutch Boyd, hung around with him some, played with him before he did very good. I played with Annie Duke. Uh, she's a good player, great player, uh, really great player played with that guy gank I think all of them are good they're they're hard to play against they're aggressive uh, I'm a I've changed I used to be the most aggressive and now that it's very stylish I just I think they're I think you can cinch win against them in casinos but you can't big win as tight as I play you know
0: I see do you have a regular game you play in down in Texas still?
2: Well, right now they're playing that Omaha Eight, and I can't last over about an hour and a half. But a boy, I've got a heck of a winning record, but it's not much money. I see. I I win one or two pots, eat something, and go home. I just I don't I don't really like the mathematical type games. I like I just the only game I really like is No Limit Hold'em, just for the fun of it. You know.
0: Do you still have games down in your neck of the woods? If I were to visit, could you set me up with a decent game?
2: Well, the game they're playing—the the, the guys I used to play with—are playing too high for me now. They put eighty on it. Can you put eighty on it? I don't know what that means. Putting well, eighty the blinds, on it. you know, it goes 5, 10, 20, 40, 80.
0: No, I couldn't play that game.
2: I can't either. <laughs> I uh, and there's there's another game that I'm gonna. I usually don't play at night. I'd much rather play in the afternoon. And uh, the games come and go. When I retired, I retired in two thousand and four, and I won a bunch of money for about a year and a half. And there were some good good games any day you wanted to play. And I was lucky, and I don't believe in luck over time. But you know how a streak will come. Sure. I kept I kept notes, and in four states, I never had aces cracked in about eighteen months, or kings hardly. And I made Three Kings so many times you'd think, now that is strange <laughs> You know. <laughs> but uh the money I've made in the last couple of years isn't very much. I go to Oklahoma. Where do you I've play?
0: Do you play at the Windstar?
2: I have played at Windstar, and that's where I need to go. It's easier for me to go to to Red River and it's not as good a casino. And it kinda depends. If if I'm gonna really hunker down and play two five uh, no limit, Windstar's better. But at one, two, Windstar's not very good because they won't let the suckers put up over $200, and so they put up $100. And they cut the pot about $8. And if you bust one of them, you know, by the time you can get to them, they've already lost a little pot or two. And, you know, you knock out a sucker and he's got $40, and you've traveled 300 miles to get to him. So you need to play in the two five. Well, Johnny,
0: do you fly? Would you fly up no. to uh, New England and come play at Foxwoods and Mohegan? Because we can set you up. They, there are some big games there—not huge games, but five ten games and two five games and one two games—and lots and well, lots of uh, action.
2: I, the easiest for me, I can direct fly to Vegas. I started to go to Vegas this weekend because of the Poker Bloggers Tournament, and uh, I just uh, there's just plenty of poker, you know. When, when poker's newly legalized, as it is in Oklahoma and about to be in Ohio, it's real easy. I've played New Mexico a bunch, and it, and it's toughened up.
0: Where you do know. you play there? Do you play at Sandia or is it letter?
2: I play at all of them, but mostly Sandia is the best one in the state. Yeah.
0: Well, and I'm waiting I, for Florida to open up, because Florida has a whole bunch of places with low limit, no limit, and they're going to raise that cap, and then I think uh, it's going to be gangbusters. Have you heard yeah. that?
2: Do you play Foxwoods? I do.
0: I play, I'm play. playing this weekend Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun, and I go down to Atlantic City, A.C., and I travel. I've
2: heard that Foxwoods is better than Las Vegas. Oh, uh,
0: I think so. There's more action. There are fewer people that really know what they're doing, I mean, percentage-wise. In Las Vegas, you got a lot of full-time pros or even semi-pros who make their living in the poker room, and that's, they've been doing that for 10, 15 years at Foxwoods. You may have a few, but you have so many recreational players that are just coming in for the action that I think it's easier pickings. Of course, there are good places in Las Vegas. You can get some very good games at the MGM and at Caesars. But I'm not going to go down and play 2-5 even at the Wynn or the Venetian or the Bellagio and be any significant amount better than the serious players that are there every day. I don't want to play against I think
2: them. I can... Well, actually, to travel... You you need to play about two five, you know. If you're going to be on the road and stay in a hotel, you have to play about as high as two five, and that's about where I'm comfortable. If I tell you, if I played five ten, I've won the money on that trip. You know, I'm I'm big on making it through the trip, and I don't have to play poker. I used to every year I had to win, you know, and. Um, when spring came and I'd go to the World Series of Poker, I'd, I never did play much tournaments because I had to make a certain amount of money and grind it out, and I'd do that. But I was short-sighted because I've, I had a lot of tournament experience from bridge. Right. when And um, I, I play tournaments now, but small ones.
0: Johnny, tell us about your books. I want our listeners okay. to hear about it. We're going to well, put my, it on your my, site. We're going to put your site on our site, but tell us about the books.
2: Okay, well... I'm doing a book of collected writings, and you can find some of those same kind of stories we're sharing here on my website, johnnyhughes.com. And I'm I'm writing right now a series about these old gamblers, uh, Curly Cabot, and I've written about Johnny Moss, Titanic Thompson, Jack Strauss, uh, Bill Smith, guys I knew and how I knew them, you know, stories about me and them. That's kind of my road game. And that will be a book. I'm doing that in Bluff, Europe. I'm hoping to get them in Bluff, America. I've done some for Bluff, America. Who else do you my write novel. for? novel. Do you my write novel. for Poker
0: Pro Magazine, too? Is that you? No. No, okay.
2: Uh, so just Bluff. Uh, mm-hmm. My novel, Texas Poker Wisdom, which is for sale on Amazon or through bookstore orders, it really, uh, I believe it would should help people's poker game because it's about the philosophy and the, the discipline and strategy and things like that of a hustler on the road you have to watch every damn dollar you know and get your comps and stay out of traps and and all of that sort of thing it's a lot of people play partners in those casinos and you have to to know how to deal with that or not deal with it Actually, at Winstar, I saw a couple of guys who uh, – now, they could have been Siamese twins, but if they weren't, they'd had their chairs touching each other, and they were looking at four cards. I can't beat people have seen four cards when I've only seen two. And the floor man, some people complained, and they didn't do anything about it. That knocked me out of the 2-5 game. Uh, so they were cheating. I, they, yeah, were they were cheating.
0: old fashioned peeking at each other's cards to give yeah, themselves an advantage. And in kicking each
2: other and stuff like that. Childlike cheating, but still, uh, you can't have it. But Windstar gets all those Dallas drunks. I have my friends here who are going to Windstar so much that we can't get them, can't get up to hold them as good. And. Uh, they beat them pretty good because it's these college boys come up drunk on the weekends Mm -hmm. and those good players are just sitting there waiting for them. And they don't even expect to win, you know?
0: Well, Johnny, I, I have, uh, I've really enjoyed listening to the stories and I'd like to have you come back on when you get your, your next book published. And I'd also like to play with you sometime and maybe off the air, uh, we can figure out through emails, how we can hook up someplace. I travel some, I'm coming down to Alabama in about a week maybe I can take a trip to Texas and you can show me around the old spots where the games used to be and maybe even where the games are. How does that sound?
2: Uh, Might do that. I tell you the best, I I need to get to Vegas more often. I just got a nice letter from Doyle, and Brunson asked me to have dinner with him and swap some old stories. I reviewed his book on Amazon and mentioned all the players that he and I had played with together and all. His book is fantastic.
0: Which book is that?
2: It's Doyle Brunson, The Godfather of Poker. Uh, It's the best poker book out this year. Terrific. Uh, And also, by the way, Doyle says the same thing I do. That match took place, and Amarillo Slim is innocent. That match took place, Amarillo Slim is innocent.
0: (laughs) Very good, Johnny. He heard it
2: from Texas. Yes. Thank you so much, Ashley. And I've read read your stuff about Seven Stud and... and, uh, Different strategy things. When I first started out, we were both wrote on Poker Forum and Poker Pages.
0: That's right. I remember. I, I saw your the picture of you, though, on the Poker Forum. I thought you were a young guy.
2: There is no picture of me on Poker Forum.
0: Well, maybe that's why.
2: There is no picture of me on the <laughs> Internet. But one surfaced the other day. I'm still a rogue gambler. I don't want people to know who I am. I
0: know the picture of you on Facebook has the uh, coffee cup in front of your face so people can't see who you are.
2: Yeah, very but good. I, I put a picture of me and Amarillo Slim up there one time. I'll put it on your I'll put it on your Facebook.
0: All right, man. Thank you very thank much. It's Johnny Hughes. Thank you, Ashley. I'll um, be
2: available any other time.
0: Great. We're going to take a break and then we'll be back with our mailbag. Take care. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guests, strategy questions. They could be practical questions about where and how to find a game. Send your questions to info at House of Cards Radio. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash HOCRadio. We're very interested in them. And, of course, if they're particularly interesting, we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of Mailbag. Info at HouseOfCardsRadio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOCRadio. Info at HouseOfCardsRadio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOCRadio.
1: Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning 7-card stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning 7-card stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing. You'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-card stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley
0: Adams. In the field of local live entertainment. Oh my God! Welcome back, listeners. I hope, uh, I hope you did as I advised, that you had your feet up and you're in a comfortable chair. And wasn't that as promised? Uh, Johnny Hughes can tell a story. And uh, I'm glad that he was willing to share all that with us. And, of course, we have his website up on our website, johnnyhughes.com, johnnyhughes.com. Uh, So I'm joined now by Dave Weishaddle, my producer. And uh, rather than go into all those questions we got from listeners, I think you had something else you wanted me to talk about. Yeah, boy. uh, Let me first
1: say, if someone asks us for a best of House of Cards, (laughs) that's on the top of the list. (laughs) (laughs) If you like listening to stories. The greatest line, I think we talked about this off air, was... uh, when I say mobbed up, I don't mean in a bad way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was good. It certainly did give you a sense of uh, what it was like to be back in the uh, in the fifties and the sixties in uh, Texas Power. I tell well, you, I'm I, eager I, to go as a player. Have you experienced that kind of lifestyle, or was that in days gone by, or you'll well, never see that again? Or I, I, let let me address it ahead. On. I I have never, I I have never been in that world. I mean, my world of poker is completely antiseptic compared to that. I mean, it's uh, clean. You mean the poker games at the synagogue aren't like that? Or? <laughs> we don't have <laughs> a boss gambler in town, unless it's me. I mean, maybe I'm the boss gambler and uh, over the it's yeah, wine. The rabbi isn't a code word for... The uh, rabbi. For, <laughs> the rabbi. <laughs> well, actually, we had a guest on, uh, David Rabbi, uh, yeah, the, remember? Yeah. Um, no, the truth is that I have, I have had tastes of that world in this respect. Um, I've played in a lot of underground games in the Boston area. In fact, in lots of places, including Grenada Grenada and the Bahamas. And I've been in places where it was not completely to use to extend the metaphor you mentioned for my synagogue, not completely kosher. But that being said, I've never played in games where we were afraid of being robbed, although I did play in a Boston game, a couple of Boston games that were robbed, not when I was there and fortunately not when my daughter was dealing. So that was an element of the game. But you did I didn't have the sense that, oh, my God, the game could be robbed at any time. If I did, I mean, I'm such a clean-cut guy, I would never want to be in <laughs> a game like that. Uh, I'm not – the image of the outlaw uh, is not what attracts me to poker, and it certainly is not part of the poker world that I'm in. That being said – um. I've seen some cheating, uh, but not anything like what he's talking about. I mean, I, to me, holdout devices are out it, of the It was almost uh, blatant the, what the he movies. was talking about. Well, he with, was. I mean, guys was. had marked decks, and guys had holdout devices. That's something I only seen in the movies where they have spring-loaded <laughs> things that pull aces up their sleeves. I mean, I, I can't even conceive of that. But what I have seen, and in fact, anybody who's played on the Internet probably suspects it may be out there. Uh, and I've seen this in live games and on the internet, it's collusion. I mean, you do see people that clearly, not very often at all, but occasionally people that will be raising back and forth potentially to limit the field or to pump up the pot. I've seen that. I have seen marked cards, but I don't know that the cards were marked with the intent of marking them. I mean, I've seen cards with indentations on the back of them. And when I was in a club in Seattle, a dirty, dark club that's since closed, it happened that I saw three aces that all had a thumbnail mark on the corner. That was deliberate. At Foxwoods, at Mohegan, at a dozen places with automatic shufflers, however, you will see markings on the back of the cards that... If you have really good vision, maybe you could spot, and maybe somebody really sharp-eyed may be looking out for. But it's marked by the automatic shuffling machine, not somebody <laughs> deliberately using a whiteout or whatever to try to mark up the cards. Um, I saw in an online game. I once got a little frisky and was playing five ten blind uh, Omaha, pot limit Omaha, and I saw this was. Uh, pot limit high, I saw what looked like pot manipulation, where there were players that seemed to be pumping up the pot deliberately and then not showing down a hand, the guy folding. Um, This was in the early days at party poker, and my rule of thumb is I'm not going to get involved in trying to prove anything. I just left the game. But with those very rare exceptions, either I'm denser than I think or I really have never come across... Serious cheating. I've never had any sense that somebody was dealing seconds or bottoms, or that the deck was was cut in any way so that the dealer could feel cards and deal. But then, you know, maybe I just am really—I just don't think that that's going on the way it used to in the old days. So I loved listening to Johnny Hughes. Well, well let me but ask you about the guys that. from the old days. Uh,
1: would you play guys like Johnny differently? I mean, he's seen it all. He's done it all. He's played with some of the best uh poker players in the world legendary poker players how would you approach
0: a, a hand against him i would not approach it any differently i would i mean what's interesting is he described playing a 1 2 game <laughs> in oklahoma well i play 1 2 and 2 5 all the time i would approach it as I would try to size him up, and just like I do anybody, especially a seasoned player, you figure this is a good guy, I wonder what his game is, is he aggressive, is he passive, does he call a lot, does he raise a lot, try to figure out something that he may be doing that he may not know, and uh, I would do that the way I would do it with anybody else. You think he talks a lot at the table? I wonder about that. I wonder about that. Doug has given me the high sign. That ends it for House of Cards. But what a great show. Listeners, uh, come back next week and have a good night and good luck to you all. Hi, listeners, this is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, and we're now blanketing the United States, you can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com, and you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio.
1: Hey, listeners, this is Dave from House of Cards, and we'd like to congratulate Beth Gaines from Los Angeles, California, as the winner of our PokerStars Caribbean Adventure Giveaway. Beth has won, courtesy of Poker Stars and House of Cards, three nights at the Atlantis Resort and Casino in the Bahamas, one thousand dollars in cash, a two hundred fifty dollars gift certificate for the spa at the Atlantis Resort, and free entry into both the ladies' event at the 2010 Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure and the Poker Stars Boot Camp being held at the Atlantis. Congratulations, Beth, from all of us at House of Cards.
0: Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over 1 million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides, but we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love.